Welcome to the Marriage Podcast, a conversation about marriage for marriage. Today we join Trey as he shares making love in marriage. So, speaking of holidays, I think after the holidays, I thought tonight um, we could talk about an important topic. We could talk about making love. Like, really, like, talk about making love. How, how awesome is that, you know? After the holidays, to talk about that. And I'm hoping that at, at the end of our talk tonight, like you'll have some new insights and skills for, for making love. Like, I, I better hurry up and explain. I see Jeremy getting excited back here. His eyes are big. Like, I'm going to learn some new skills on, on making love. Now, as old as he is, he probably teach me uh, a thing or two. But, but I, I better explain before I get in trouble. Uh, when, you, when you hear the phrase making love, what, what do you think I'm talking about? You think you're thinking sex, right? That's that's that is yes you are, you're not. <laughs> that is the cultural euphemism for making love. We think of sex. I just I asked Anna that uh, a couple of days ago. What do, you, what do you think when I say the phrase making love? She's like, I think most people would say sex, and that's probably right. That's what we all think, is sex. But love uh, is not sex, right? Having a romantic encounter with another person does not uh, create love, you know. Um, love is not something you fall into after, you know, a passionate encounter. Uh, instead, and this is really the point right here, uh, love and marriage are made, right? Love and marriage uh, is made. And when a married couple is working on their communications, guess what? They're making love. When a married couple is working through an unresolved conflict that they maybe they've had for a while, and they're trying to resolve that. Um, they're making love. Right? When a married couple commits to their marriage and unconditionally loves each other when they go through something hard, right? They're they're creating and they're making love, right? And yes, when you are working at your sexual intimacy together, you're you're making love um, as well. So I just think we need a new perspective um, on what making love is so that we would care enough to uh, make love to each other. Uh, but the truth is, before we can really make love to each other, uh, we need to know that God made love to us, right? Uh, so I want to share with you, listen to how God has made love to us. This is uh, Ephesians 1, and I'm going to paraphrase it just for a time. And I've, I've had, had it underlined there and I kind of highlighted for you guys to follow along. But I could have found a bunch of other verses and just kind of compiled them. But I felt like Ephesians, 5, Ephesians 1 did a good job of just consolidating a lot of what God has done for us. And now he has blessed us. But just listen as I kind of paraphrase and walk through this of how God has made love to us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, which is a lot. He chose us to be his holy people. Right? Those of us who are in Christ, he chose us to be his holy people. He made us acceptable in Christ. He has freely given us grace, which is a pretty big deal. Like He freely gives us grace. Uh, we're all sinners sitting here tonight still. He gave us redemption through Christ's blood, which means forgiveness of sin, which again uh, is a pretty big deal. And then ultimately he adopted us and sealed us for eternity with um, his Holy Spirit. So... Here's the deal. He needed to do all of those things that I just mentioned because every one of us were dead and lost uh, in our sins. If he would have left us in that condition, well, we would just be wandering through life without any hope, 
We would just be living life uh, with no hope at all. And then a chapter later in verses 4 and 5, chapter 2, uh, verse 4 and 5, he says this. And this is kind of a good summary of what uh, he's, he, the way that he may love to us. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. So he, he may love with us by giving himself to us. And he set aside his feelings um, which, because of sin, I'm pretty sure his feelings must have been pretty, pretty deep uh, for us. And on top of that, <clears throat> he goes the extra mile, and he forgives us when we when he didn't have to. I mean, he could have set up in heaven and said, you know what? I think I'll just wait until uh, you clean your act up, until uh, you turn from your sin and turn back to him. But that's not the way that God makes love to us. He loved us even when we were unlovable. He loved us while we were still actively sinning against him. Uh, he still loved us. So, here's the other thing. He will do anything in his power to influence you to love him. Anything except force you to love him. Because that wouldn't be love, right? Love is not brought about by power and control. Love is brought about by the influence of love, all right? So there's no power play on God's part. He has no intention like of beating us into submission. He, he says he loves us. He shows it and he meant it no matter what we do. So that's the way that God has made love to us. That's pretty cool, right, when you think about the way that he's loved us. So the natural question for us here tonight is how do we respond to that, right? How do we respond to him, but not only to him, how do we respond to each other? Uh, in our marriages. How, how do we respond to that? Well, I think Ephesians 5.21, it does a pretty good job of saying the way that we can make love to each other because of the way that he's made love to us. So let me read Ephesians 5.21. Submit. Ouch. We don't like that word. We'll talk about that in a minute. Submit to one another out of reverence. What does that mean? Out of reverence for Christ. So we'll talk about those two words, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay? We submit to one another because Christ has submitted himself to us. All right? The word submit literally means to line up under or with. Right? And so we are encouraged to line up under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the way that we display that is to submit to one another. Right? This is the way that we make love to each other. Not, not we, but uh, I guess it could be we. But this is the way that you make love uh, to your spouse. You submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right. So he describes, um, well, let me go back to this. Um, he describes what this looks like in marriage. and He says, wives, submit to your husband's key uh, words there as to the Lord. Not just submit to your husbands, but submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Right? And then he says uh, to husbands, uh, husbands love your wives as, key little two words, uh, two letter word there, as Christ loved the church. And so he first tells wives that their relationship to their husbands should mirror their relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he's not saying there. He's not saying wives 
uh, get into your husband's every demand. He's not saying like you're second-class citizens uh, to your husbands. He's he's not saying, you know, become a doormat to your husbands because that wouldn't be the type of relationship that Jesus uh, would expect at all. But then he says to husbands, <clears throat> love your wives as Christ loves the church, right? He did not say give them whatever they ask for. Uh, he did not say when they are worshiping you or doing what you want them to do, then you love them. He said to love them, uh, love your wives as Christ had, have loved us. Right? And so to me, a husband should be so willing to sacrifice himself for the good of his wife that she never has any doubt ever in her mind of his love for her or that he's looking out for her good because that's the way that Christ loved the church. But you know, as well as I do in marriage, there's this wrestling for control or wrestling for authority in marriage, right? And it goes all the way back to the first married couple. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God said to the first woman, Jeremy, that verse is there too, Genesis 3, it says, Your, God says this to the first woman, Your desire will be for your desire will be to control your husband, but he shall rule over you. And so it's part of the curse on, on mankind where we fight over who wears the pants in the family, right? And you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, but as far as control uh, in the family and uh, manipulation and all that type of thing, uh, first of all, the desire to, to do that, the desire to control each other is sinful, like, it's wrong. Second, it harms our relationship with each other because, again, a loving relationship is not brought about by power and control. A loving relationship is uh, based off of the influence of love. So, and look, I know when we hear that word submit, it just kind of, just kind of grinds that. It's like we don't, we don't ordinarily think in those terms uh, when we hear the word submit. We don't, that's not our natural way to think. It's, it's more common for us to want to know, like, what's in it for me? Like, how, how do I get my interests met? Like, how do I get my needs fulfilled? How do I get what I want out of this uh, relationship, right? Um, but the thing is, as soon as we ask that question, we are starting to fall in that trap of control and, and manipulation and uh, things like that. It's like the subtitle of a book I saw recently, uh, that say getting what we want from relationships. Like that's generally what happens when we first enter marriage. We're entering that marriage because we want to get what we want out of the relationship. That's what we all probably did when we entered marriage. But the question we should ask ourselves, it ought to be more like how can I live out the role that God has gave me uh, to live out in marriage? How can I reflect the love of Christ to my husband or uh, to my wife? And in my marriage, how can I be the godliest husband or wife that I can be uh, in my marriage? Right. So husbands, it's our responsibility to sacrificially love our spouse and to set aside our our wants and our needs and our personal agendas from from time to time, just as Christ did for us. It's kind of like the advice I heard. Uh, uh, I read about a third grader whose teacher was getting married, uh, uh, a lady teacher was getting married, and he told her, he said, 
You'll know that your husband loves you when there's two cupcakes and he takes the one with the less icing on it. Like, I think that's pretty good. Like, I think that's accurate, don't you guys? And um, I think there are thousands of ways that you can love your spouse. Like, the chances of you having to take a bullet, first of all, like you said, you're not fast enough. You're not going to get in front of it fast enough. Second of all, the opportunity probably is not going to present itself. Uh, more than likely, I guess there's, there's a chance it could happen. But you're, you're probably not going to have to take a bullet for your spouse. Probably not. Most likely not. But there are a thousand other ways that you can take a bullet for your spouse. You know that one thing that you don't want to do, that you know you should do? Guess what? That's your bullet. Like that's the thing that you can do to sacrifice for her. That one thing that you don't want to do that you know you should do, that's, that's your bullet. So just ask yourself, husbands, are you loving her in that way? Wives, show your husband that you value them. You value them more than you do your children, more than you do your home or your decor. Uh, I'm not picking on Anna there. Uh, you love them more than you do your mom. Uh, you love them more than you do anything and anyone. Your husband should have no doubt in his mind that you value him more than anything or anyone else that there is. So just ask yourself, uh, is that true of you? All right. So the way that we make love is to submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. That's our motivation out of reverence. Have you ever thought about that word reverence and what it means? Like what, what exactly does, does reverence mean? Well, here's the definition. And I think it's up there, yeah. It's a regard to treat with deep respect. And I like this part here. Mingled with awe. Like it's a deep respect Mingle with all. Like, I like that. Um, so it's not just like respect like we would commonly and ordinarily think of it today. Not just like respect, but it's like a deep respect mingled with all. In the Old Testament, reverence comes from two Hebrew words. and I'm not going to pronounce them because I probably can't. But the idea is uh, fear, fear, fear and awe, fear and awe. It's like this falling down on your face in front of God, just fearing and awe, right? To, to revere God is to, to fear God. That's the idea of the Old Testament Hebrew words there. Uh, the New Testament, reverence comes from three Greek words. I'm not going to pronounce them. But the idea is uh, gratitude, gratefulness, uh, respect, adoration, and affection. So if you put all of that together, the idea would be fear, awe, gratitude, respect, affection, and adoration. Like that's what reverence means. So submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, right? Here's the other thing I found. How is reverence for God demonstrated? Our willingness to voluntarily die to ourselves and obey his commands. Like that's what it looks like to revere God and to hold him in, in, in reverence. Which, by the way, what relationship is the most likely, is that most likely to happen in, to, to die to yourself? Well, it could happen in any relationship, but it's definitely going to happen in marriage. You have plenty of opportunities that are presented to you to die to yourself in, in, uh, in marriage, especially in marriage. Right? So that's our motivation to love and to submit to each other out of reverence for God. Uh, so, 
Ephesians 5 tells us how to make love through submission. Uh, but then I want to share another verse with you. It's Philippians 2, and it breaks it down so even an idiot like myself could understand it. And so uh, walk with me through uh, Philippians 2, and I'll point out uh, a few things. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, do you revere Him? Are you encouraged and comforted uh, from His love? Right? Are you in awe? Or do you respect Him with a deep respect? You know, um, all those things that we mentioned. Do you have affection towards Him based off of the way that He's made love to you? Um, do you have any encouragement from that? And then this next part, it says, if any common sharing in the Spirit. Right? If you're a Christian, you have His Spirit living in you. And so if you're sitting here and you think, you know, I just don't, I just don't think I can submit to my spouse. I just, I just don't think I have it in me. Well, if you're a Christian, yes, you do. Don't tell me you can't because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's a choice you make and the Holy Spirit will walk with you through that. Any tenderness and compassion when you, before you became a Christian, you had a hard heart, a heart of stone. Even if you think you didn't, uh, you, you did. But once you became a Christian, you began to uh, receive his spirit and uh, you are beginning to become more tender and compassionate. <clears throat> Verse 2, it says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition <clears throat> or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. I look into your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the other. So, if I were to paraphrase those last two verses there, verse 3 and 4, I would do it in the words of the former President Kennedy who said, Ask not what your spouse can do for you, but ask what you can do for your spouse. Like, I think that's the idea of that verse, and I think that's a good way for us to uh, think of that. So, picking back up in verse 5, it says, In your relationships, and the most important relationship on planet Earth is your marriage, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, not like God, not a God, he, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Sounds like submission to me. Made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Sounds like submission to me. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, submission, by becoming obedient to death, submission, on a cross. Therefore, because of his submission, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So why did God exalt him? Because God exalts those who humble themselves. In fact, Matthew twenty-three twelve says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then James chapter 4 is the verse we use around here a lot. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Like, God is actively your enemy when you are full of pride. Like that's pretty flooring to think about there. So that is how you make love in marriage. In my marriage, how we made love first, it was 
both of us individually submitting to Christ. Um, and out of gratitude, because if you heard our story, it's pretty rank and file. And just out of gratitude, we're grateful. Like, you mean I get grace? I get forgiveness for the rotten, horrible things that uh, we've done? I get forgiveness for that? Yeah. Well, it calls me to be reverent, to be in awe of God, and to be grateful and uh, towards Him for what He's done. And now that I've submitted to Christ, I'm able to submit to my wife and, and vice versa out of reverence for Christ. You can't submit to each other without submission to Christ. It's a, kind of a key a thing that has to happen first. And then we were, we were able to forgive each other for some pretty hurtful things. You, you've heard our story. Most of you, there were affairs, pornography, um, drunkenness, sexual immorality, that we really hurt each other deeply. I mean, we hurt each other. And so we were able to finally forgive each other uh, for those things. We were talked about divorce during that time. We were able to unconditionally love each other and commit, you know, through the worst in our marriage vows, sickness, and, and now death. And now we're striving to put the interest of the other first. Like that is how we made love and are still striving to make love uh, today in our marriage. So the question of the night is, for you guys, like how will you make love in your marriage? Like are you struggling with forgiveness? That's how you make love in your marriage. You strive and, and work towards forgiving your spouse. Are you struggling with commitment? You're struggling with those marriage vows that you said, for better, for worse, sickness and health, or death do us part. Well, committing, that's how you make love in your marriage. Maybe it's just communication issues. You're not a very good listener when your spouse talks. Well, you, you're going to strive to be a better listener. That's how you make love in your in your marriage. Maybe it's you're here, you have a an unresolved conflict in your marriage, and you're going to commit to work through that and resolve an issue that works out for the both of you. You're making love in your marriage. So that's your question. How will you make love in your marriage? You have the greatest motivation in the world to do it uh, because it's been done for you. And so the last thing, and I'll close with this, Miss Beverly sent this to me, um, I don't know, months ago. I thought, man, that's so good. Can I use that? She's like, yeah, I found it somewhere. And I Googled it and I found it. And the opportunity really never presented itself until now. I think this, this is very fitting for what we're talking about tonight, about putting into marriage more than uh, what we take uh, from it. So let me read that to you. It says, most people get married believing a myth. They believe that marriage is a beautiful box full of things they have longed for. Companionship, intimacy, friendships, etc., etc. The truth is that marriage at the start is an empty box. You must put something in it before you can take anything out. There is no love in marriage. Love is in people. And people put love in marriage. There is no romance in marriage. You have to infuse it into your marriage. A couple must learn the art and form the habit of giving loving, serving, praising, of keeping the box full. If you take out more than you put in, the box will be empty. All right, which makes the point that we're talking about tonight, uh, that marriage is made. It's not something that you fall into. It doesn't just happen. You don't find the right person. You make it by staying together, working through difficult things, and, and forgiving 
one another. And I just think that when you make love in this way, like it will do more for your marriage than anything that you can imagine. It doesn't really matter whether you're here and your marriage is solid or you're here and your marriage is kind of shaky. Like there's nothing that will have more impact on your marriage uh, than submitting to each other because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Like it, it may sound like churchy stuff, but it's it's true because I've experienced it and I've seen I've seen it happen in other marriages as well. Thank you for joining with us today. You can reach out to us at reengage at wfrchurch.org if you have any questions. Y'all have a blessed day.